Hello, and welcome back to In Person, brought to you by Visibo. In case you and I haven't already met, I'm Brandon Raffleson, and in each episode of In Person, we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. I don't know if you've noticed this, but during the pandemic, with the world slowing down, things have been a little quieter. It's a little easier to hear sounds you wouldn't normally tune into. Like birds. I've noticed more about birds than ever before. There's the chirp chirp of the evening cardinal. Uh, there is the Tweedledee, Tweedledee, Tweedledee song of the wren. And then there are many other bird sounds that I still can't make heads or tails of. Lauren Lawson, oh, she's been thinking about birds too. Lauren is the Director of Events and Engagement Programs at the National Audubon Society, where she oversees the events program taking place across the network and works to ensure the events help move Audubon's mission forward. Prior to this, she worked with the Trust for Public Land, where she managed events ranging from the organization's annual gala to helping develop their Park Bench Chat series. And prior to working in parks and conservation, Lauren supported fundraising in the healthcare nonprofit sector. She holds a master's in organizational communication from LaSalle University and a bachelor's from University of Pittsburgh. In this episode, Lauren opens up about her trajectory from healthcare to conservation, lessons that she's learned throughout her career in the nonprofit sector, and how the events team at the National Audubon Society is creating engaging virtual events now and also planning for the future. Let's get to it. Lauren, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. I'd love to start off with a question that I think is very relevant for our conversation. I wonder if this is like a <laughs> maybe an interview question for everybody who applies to the Audubon Society, but <laughs> what is one of your favorite birds and why? And I'd love to, I could share my own if that's helpful. <laughs> oh, I would love to hear what your favorite bird is. And thanks so much for having me. <laughs> my favorite bird, this is going to sound weird and probably most people would never say this, is the woodpecker. And the reason that I say that, because they're known to be a little bit annoying if you have one and they're trying to create some space in one of the trees around you. But as a child, I just have fond memories of Saturday mornings waking up, unfortunately, to the noise of like the woodpecker just peck, 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 pecking away into the tree in our backyard and, you know, going out there and trying to find it and look for the <laughs> woodpecker, etc. Then one day, Mr. Woodpecker went to find another place to live. And so I was I was sad when I didn't oh, have no. that noise waking me up in the morning. So from that, I have <laughs> become a fan of the woodpecker and they're cute birds too. So that doesn't hurt <laughs> as well. <laughs> so now whenever you hear a woodpecker, you suddenly take it back to childhood. Yes. And like, where is Scooby-Doo? Where are all the good cartoons that are about to come on in the morning, <laughs> the morning lineup for all the good cartoons. But unfortunately there's not, there's not that anymore. On Saturday morning. Yeah. I think that's something that's really special about just birds and <laughs> Some of the the associations we can have with them and a lot of the memories that are tied to them too. I think myself, I'm going to start off sharing my bird. I'm like really self-conscious because I think probably it's it's kind of basic by Audubon Society standards. But uh, 
the cardinal. Okay. Uh, you know, it's a state bird of like six or seven states. <laughs> uh, but I'm originally from Illinois, and it was, uh, it was you know, our state bird there. I'm in North Carolina now, and it's also the state bird here. But that set aside, it's been really comforting for me during this period of everything going on is my wife and I have been spending time at her parents' place for dinners. And every evening that we're there, this cardinal will come out like clockwork, and it'll just chirp. Mm-hmm. And now wherever I go, as soon as I hear that chirp, I like just immediately think of oh, like a, a nice the evening cardinal. Yes, an evening cardinal. It's so great. Uh, <laughs> it's so interesting in this time that we're in. I think we're able to hear the sounds of nature in ways that we haven't before. And mm. birds are definitely a part of that. And it's been, I consider it one silver lining in this stay at home world that we're living in right now, for sure. There are some, and, and and that's definitely one of them. So to sort of ease us off as we, we kind of get into our, our conversation of the National Audubon Society and all the work that you're doing there to help preserve birds and the places where they live, could we start by discussing everything that sort of led up to where you are and, and you joining the National Audubon Society? I know that you had previously worked at some other really interesting cause-based organizations like the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and the Trust for the Public Land. Could you walk us through these steps and sort of the things you picked up along the way and how they, they led to where you are today? Yeah. Graduating from college, I had a brief stint working for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then from there, I went into my journey into nonprofits. And I started working for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, doing their school and youth programming and also focusing on their gala and other third party fundraising events, what we called it. And it was a really interesting and valuable experience because I was a fundraiser and where I really picked up skills of working with people that wanted to really support your cause and your mission and encouraging them to fundraise for you through being with the school and youth program. Some of those that I was working with were children. And so public speaking, I mean, if you've never done an assembly in front of kids, it's gotten all the questions. Um, <laughs> That's so a tough crowd. <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough crowd. So now, you know, speaking to your board or to a, um, <laughs> a large corporation that you're trying to get to sponsor your event isn't as hard once you've gone through the training of children for sure. So um, <laughs> that was some really good, valuable skills that I gained there and have become fundamental to the skills that I have as a professional. And then at the Trust for Public Land, I still had those skill sets, but instead I really focused on the event experience that I had gained over my time from the Leukemia Lymphoma Society to the Trust for Public Land. I was with other organizations, cause-based organizations. And I really just realized that while I enjoy fundraising, I enjoy the events, the strategy, the logistics, and all those things more. (laughs) And at Mm. the Trust for Public Land, I was able to do that and really refine those skills and refine strategy building skills of not just thinking of an event as one snapshot in time, but thinking of how it holistically will bring in supporters to your organization and how they help to achieve the mission of the organization and whatever goals that the organization has. So that was really valuable for me as well in my professional development. 
I'm seeing this trajectory of just becoming more and more focused in events and, and the greater strategy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You couldn't tell my younger self that this is where I would be, but I'm really glad that this is where I am. You've had the chance to work at a number of organizations in the nonprofit space. I mean, you're at the Audubon Society right now, where I know you're, you're able to, to focus even more so on events and looking at the strategy there. But what is one of the biggest misconceptions that you think folks have when they think about working for nonprofits and nonprofit events? Yeah, it's funny. I think that the biggest misconception, which I've been asked before, is that we don't get paid, which is not true. We, of course, earn a salary. <laughs> you know, I believe in the causes that I work for, but I also have bills that I have to pay. So we definitely do get paid. And while it may not be the same type of salaries that you would get from corporate America starting out, you definitely can earn a great living and be able to support a family on a nonprofit salary. And then you have the bonus as well of affecting change through whatever cause-based organization that you're working with, which is also something powerful as well. I think that's uh, important to to lay some of those rumors to rest. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I have been at events and people are like, so, you know, you do all this. When do you have time to work a job? And I'm just like, this This is is my job. job. (laughs) This is my job. Right now, you're working at the National Audubon Society. Could you tell us a little bit more about your current responsibilities there and some of the initiatives that you're working on? My main responsibility for the organization is we are a vast organization, national organization. We have about 19 state and regional offices across the country and about 450 chapters. And so they created my position to really focus on the events that are taking place across the network. That's what we call all of our offices, because I'll probably referring to that a lot. So you understand what I mean when I'm saying network. So really working with our colleagues across the network to create events that will really engage our supporters, really get them excited and fired up about our work. And then also, I'm going to use a bad word here, but <laughs> to standardize quote unquote, our events as well. (laughs) And when I say that, I don't mean to, you know, an event won't be the same in New York that it would be, let's say, in our Texas office for sure. But there should be still some standards so that if somebody were to be in an event in New York or in our California office or in our Texas office, they would still be able to say, oh, I was at an Audubon event. It just had a local twang, local feel. Definitely. Yeah, no, I could see that being very valuable to have those playbooks and those frameworks in place to more easily scale out the event program. Yeah, definitely. And then just, you know, thinking of it not just in the now, but thinking of it like holistically thinking of what those goals are outside of fundraising and the strategies that you have to employ for that to be achieved before the event and post the event are also some things that I really am focused on. What does the team look like that you're working with to accomplish these goals? Are talkings or ballpark figures around maybe headcount, where folks are working from and perhaps some of the main functions within the team? My team, specifically our events team, is comprised of three of us right now. But we work with a lot of colleagues across the country who are also working on events. So we often partner or collaborate with them to ensure that events are happening and taking place to the standards that we would like for a national organization like ourselves. 
were generally based in the New York office, which is one of the National Audubon Society's headquarters. We also have a headquarters in D.C., Washington, D.C., but right now in this COVID world, we're kind of a little bit across the East Coast, I would say. We have a team member in Long Island, our boss, the VP that I report to. She was in Kentucky for a while. We have somebody in Connecticut. So it's been fun. We're seeing that on our side, too. A lot of folks just kind of going across the country to be with family and whatnot. And in some cases, some folks going to other countries where they have family to spend time with them during this time. I'd love to, for the next several minutes, dive into the sort of nuts and bolts of the event programs that you are running or have run in the past in the nonprofit space, but specifically now looking forward and looking at what Audubon Society has been up to, some of the events there. But before we really dive into that, I think there's a really interesting parallel between nonprofit and corporate events that might not be so evident at first glance. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So what do you think are some of the similarities and some of those differences between nonprofit and corporate events? I think some of the similarities are that we all care about guest satisfaction, the people that come to our events because we want them to continue to come back, right? That makes the event successful. The logistical planning aspects of the event, the run of shows, the technical, all those traditional things I think are very similar, the marketing strategies, et cetera. I think that those all translate via corporate or nonprofit events. I think the differences, though, are a little bit more vast in that, of course, our budgets are different. <laughs> Non-corporate events sometimes have the benefit of having larger budgets, but more specifically, some corporations have the benefits of having larger events and it's just, you know, here's your budget, go and achieve your goals. Where in nonprofit, it's here's your budget for now achieve your goals, right? Because for some of our events, like where we have our largest budgets generally are also our fundraising events. And so we have to constantly keep an eye on how the fundraising is doing, because if the fundraising is off or we're not accomplishing and reaching some of our fundraising metrics, then we need to start changing what we believed our working budget is, meaning that we have to sometimes start decreasing that. But at the same time that we're potentially adjusting, decreasing our budgets, we also still need to ensure the same standard of event and the same fixings that you normally would have. It still has to be a great event. So it's challenging, fun, you know, at the same time. uh, But it's an interesting skill for sure to have. You're just like, oh no, I guess I'm going to have to figure out different flowers or cut this or figure out how I'm not going to be able to print that or all the different things that you can cut, but it doesn't really impact the guest experience or change and it doesn't impact it in a meaningful way. Yeah, it sounds like it requires just a lot of flexibility and adaptability as you're coming up to these event deadlines. And then it also, I mean, it seems on the one hand, like a lot of responsibility, but also really rewarding that these events can have such a huge impact on fundraising. And if not immediately, pretty near in the future, have that impact. Yes, it's extremely rewarding. It's extremely challenging. And it's great if you're someone who likes to constantly have a new challenge or, you know, be kept on your toes. It definitely will keep you on your toes for sure. 
we've discussed some of the events that are centered around fundraising, and I know that is a big goal with many uh, nonprofit events. But at the same time, there are a lot of events that if we're to look at the sort of corporate analog or maybe higher up on the funnel and more about that awareness, or maybe they're more about engaging folks who are already contributors, already donors to the organization. Could you share with us a little bit about what some of these other event products or programs look like? Of course, we want our supporters to give us gifts so that we can continue to do the work that supports our mission. But we also really want to have our supporters be ambassadors for us and really understand and love all of the work that we do. And so through that, we try to come up with these meaningful engagement opportunities with our donors. So that can look like events like leadership conventions where, you know, you have different state offices, you have boards in these different state offices, boards for your national board and gathering them together so that they have an opportunity to not only network with one another, but to hear from leaders across the organization and just know what the current things that are happening across the organization and etc. and get to network and have some good times and visit some of the projects that we do in that area. Having TED style panel talks where we're talking with people that work for the organization and then others, whether those are people that we have worked with and we've impacted their landscape in a positive way through the work that we're doing with them or people that support our organization and really believe in it and understand the value of our work and bringing those conversations in front of our supporters so they can just get a different understanding of all the amazing things that we do to some really interesting trips that we do as well. I think, especially for Audubon, you know, we protect the habitats of birds for now and for the future, of course, that's one of our biggest missions and our goals, but we have the benefit to take people to some of these landscapes that we have been impacted change to, and they can see the tangible changes that have happened. So whether that's taking people on trips to our Rose Sanctuary so they can see the birds there in the natural landscape that we've helped to protect or taking them up towards the main area to see the puffins where we bring them back and people really get to see the cute birds, but (laughs) they also can see, you know, the tangible change that our organization has made. And I think that that's so impactful. Talk about experiential and experience, connecting these folks who will really care about this cause with the fruits of their contributions. And, you know, to see that, as you said, that tangible impact, that's very cool. So it's it's ways to connect folks to the work of the organization, educate them, keep them engaged and and keep them excited. Yeah. And also just It's proof positive that when you support our organization, we really are doing work that impacts change and we can bring people out to the spaces that we've impacted that change. And it's really fun. It's a great experience. Another thing that I I wanted to discuss is I know that in the past you mentioned that sometimes, specifically in the nonprofit space, programming can be a challenge when we're looking at different types of events whether that's in person or now that we're in this virtual world, what do you think some of the main challenges are there from a programming standpoint? I will say it like this. Everyone has a lot of demands on their attention today and we aren't owed people's time 
So when they attend an event that we're hosting, whether it's in person or it's virtual, it's truly a gift and we need to treat it accordingly. And so I always use that as my mindset when approaching what a program for an event will look like. I think sometimes nonprofits struggle with wanting to highlight everything that we do. And most nonprofits do a lot of things. And so when you're at a gala or you're on a 45-minute panel conversation, you can't highlight everything that you do. It just gets muddled. And so really taking a step back and deciding this is what we want to focus on. This is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to keep saying over and over again, figuring out how to say that message in different ways through different mediums, Mm. but in a very succinct and powerful way, I think is something that nonprofits are often challenged with. I mean, think of some of the galas that you may have attended where the program just kind of keeps going and you (laughs) want to be a good and engaged guest, but you also are there with your friends or there's somebody sitting next to you that you really want to try to make a business deal with or et cetera. So I think nonprofits could benefit with just thinking through things in that mindset and just really trying to have a powerful, succinct program. And I have heard from donors that have been to some of my programs and some of my events that, you know, they really appreciated that. They appreciated that we just drove home one message. We kept it as short as possible without sacrificing getting the information out there, but then also created space within the programs for breaks so that they can have meaningful conversation with their dinner partners or or at their table. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about what's going on specifically at the National Audubon Society and how you and your team are sort of innovating around this virtual medium. I know that at the time of recording this, you currently are working on some really big plans on the horizon that by the time this episode comes out, they'll probably be in effect and rolling onward. But could you share a little bit about some of the ways that the events team at the Audubon Society has worked to create a sense of community during this time? I think that nonprofits, especially the National Audubon Society, is really fortunate in the fact that there already is kind of a sense of community amongst our our supporters, right? Because they're coming to our events or virtual in-person because they believe in the mission or they want to learn more about the mission. I think that the challenge and the The opportunity that we have right now is how we can continue to build this sense of community and provide events and opportunities for people to not only connect with the organization in a meaningful way, but potentially connect with each other in a meaningful way. Our Florida team, giving full credit to them, they created like a virtual coffee happy hour that they do where it's the state director and they will invite a small amount of people to like a Zoom meeting and they will ship them this Audubon approved coffee 
because the growing standards don't impact the habitat of birds. So people can actually brew themselves a pot of this Audubon approved coffee and, you know, have a meeting with eight or so other people that really believe in our mission and talk to the state director. But it's a way for people to connect with other people in their area that believe in the things that they're doing in a time where we're not really able to meet new people. In any way, it's an interesting way for you to have people come together and they're able to meet each other in a safe, socially distanced way. Um, But you already know that, you know, sometimes when you go to a new party and you don't know anybody, you're just like, what am I going to talk about? Well, you already know that you can talk about birds. So, you know, um, (laughs) they're all there because they like the birds, right? So, um, you know, it's a fun time for us, for sure. That sounds like a really uh, creative way to get at that. And I love the coffee too, adding that physical component to it. Have you had the chance to sit in on any of these or, or hear about some of the topics that might be covered during the conversation? I think we they focus on a lot of different topics. And in some ways, we curate that to the people that we invite, whether it's insecticides. I'm getting really into the weeds of um, birding right now. But, <laughs> but like insecticides that can impact birds and things of that nature, as well as like other practices like farming practices, et cetera, that can impact the habitats or the native flowers that people can plant in their backyard that will help attract certain birds to their backyard for people that are really big into birding. It's like if you plant these certain flowers, they will come. If you know, you build it, they will come kind of thing. So then it's not just like I'm a big birder, but now, you know, I'm gathering people together that really care about like gardening and we're talking about the different plants that you can so it, it's it's special. What are some other examples of different events that the National Audubon Society is working on right now? I think we have a lot of different interesting events that are happening across our network. Some of those would include our Youth Environmental Summit that we have for young climate advocates to our annual birdathons have had to move into the virtual space instead of being in the in-person space. And then during this time, we've also launched our weekly online variety show, I Saw a Bird, um, for the <laughs> to celebrate the spring migration that it happens. And we've had some really interesting guests like SNL's Melissa Vallisignor and the iconic humanitarian Dr. Jane Goodall. So there are really some really good things that are happening across our network. And I'm just looking at those continuing to gather some steam. Those sound like a lot of fun, and they have really fun names. Birdathon? It's really exciting where we get big, avid birders, or even if you're not really an avid birder, to go out and try to identify the birds that are happening. We help people. If you're not a really good birder, we have an app, Audubon app, that you can go out and say, like, it pulls where you're at. So it will make sure that there are birds that are actually in your area that you could actually see, but you can put in all these different criteria to try to figure out what bird it is that you saw and marked it like, hey, I've seen this bird, but people are going out and they're raising funds and awareness around it by like finding all the different birds. And we aggregate the data and show where a lot of the sightings happen. So it's, it's a really fun and it's a really good time. And we have one of those annually. It's like, uh, it's like catching Pokemon. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Something like that. Yes. (laughs) And I saw a bird of a variety show. Mm Mm-hmm. It happens on YouTube and it's really exciting. It's a really fun time. And I definitely think that 
anybody who's interested in birds, I mean, because we're all at home and looking out our windows, so we're noticing a lot of birds <laughs> now. It's a really good entryway into um, getting into birding or learning more about birding, too. So definitely check it out. It happens on Wednesday evenings. I think we kind of already started talking about this a bit, but you know, what are some other ways that the National Audubon Society team has been working on making these virtual events feel like they're in-person events in a way? Because I know that's like can be a, such a big part of of these nonprofit events where you're there and you get to like see these other folks, that tangible connection that we talked about before. We're trying to accomplish that by providing space in some, like I just talked about with the coffee, providing space where people can actually connect with others and be on a call where they can see each other should they choose to be on video and really like talk and engage with them. When we're having panel style discussions, having that live chat where people can engage with one another. Sometimes we don't have live chat. Zoom bombing is real. But then also providing space for people to ask questions during the meeting, not necessarily always just like say, this is the topic, give us questions beforehand, but really providing the space for people to ask questions in the moment, whether they feel comfortable doing that via voice, opening their mic or putting that in the chat and answering those in real time. I think that those are some of the meaningful ways that we're trying to like make it feel more in person, but then also trying to really pay attention to how we keep the event, quote unquote, entertaining, depending on what type of event that is. So we're at home and there are a lot of things that can uh, draw your attention quickly. And so we need to make sure that they want to stay focused on our quote unquote channel and really want to watch the content that we're producing for them. So we need to make sure that it's entertaining, whether that's bringing in interesting guest speakers, maybe sometimes with a celebrity attached to them, or it's someone who can speak very thoughtfully about a topic area that we know that that person is joining us to because they're interested in that. Are there any particular organizations out there that that have been serving or platforms that have been serving as inspiration for you? I think that when we first went into our homes because of the stay-at-home orders, there were some really powerful virtual events that we saw taking place, like Lincoln at Jazz Center did a really interesting gala experience. There were some other ones that were happening across the New York area and some other nonprofits across the country that you saw all of the work that they put into into making sure it was something that was engaging and people wanted to continue to watch. I mean, even the conventions that are taking place right now, right, that are virtual, you see the lessons that we've all as event professionals have learned during this time of like, okay, you have to stop the speaking now and you have to go to something that's a little bit more interesting or have like a celebrity in there. And just knowing kind of the balance that we've started to develop of like when we're starting to lose people's attention in these virtual spaces. And so it's just really interesting to see. And it's going to be really interesting when we go back to being able to be in person as well of how we're going to fold these lessons that we've learned into that experience for either hybrid events or in-person events as well. Yeah. Speaking of, I know that there still is a ton of uncertainty in the future. COVID and the the state of it is changing rapidly within the United States and around the world. and, And in some cases, region by region within different countries as well. As you start thinking about that future that has these 
virtual elements combined in some way with the in-person elements. What do you think that looks like? And even before maybe we get to that full hybrid model, what are some other ways that you're excited to innovate in the more immediate future? I think the thing that's most exciting about this time to me is that the nature of events is that they're place-based, right? You have to gather Mm. people somewhere. And so we always kind of work out from that. Even if it's like people are traveling to the event and you're trying to pick an interesting location that people want to go to so that they'll come to your event, it's still very place-based, which means that there's a limit to the amount of people that you can generally host. And I think for an organization, especially a nonprofit like mine, where Audubon Society is a national organization, I think one of the exciting things are that events that we've traditionally done that were very place-based, like our gala is very New York-based, or some of our women in conservation luncheons are very like place-based, we have the ability now to open that up to everyone across the network, everyone across the country to participate in them. And I think that that's really, really exciting because it's an opportunity for us to show the amazing company that we keep with all of our different supporters. And it's an interesting way to like gather people together just to have a good time to celebrate the mission and the work that we do that you just can't do in a place. And so I think it's really exciting right now for yeah. from that perspective. And to your point about the hybrid, you can try things in this virtual space. I think it's so important as a professional, as you're looking to go to different companies to figure out how much space your company is going to give you to innovate before you decide to work for them. Have the conversation of, how many times can I throw egg at the wall and it fall before like it yeah. becomes a problem? Like, give me the space to do that and it'd be okay. Yeah. And so I think in this virtual space, we're able to do that as well, right? Like refine stuff, throw some things out there, see how it resonates with people. And I think taking those lessons and then figuring out, you know, okay, I didn't think people from this area would be interested in this subject, but they are or events that we did in person that we only opened up to a certain amount of people. Now maybe we can open it up to more people because they don't have to travel to attend. And so we can do this, this hybrid model. I think conservation in general in our space skews sometimes to an older demographic. And so it's also interesting now, it's just everybody's getting on board with the technology, right? (laughs) Learning how to use the technology. And so people that don't travel or can't travel now with, you know, once we hopefully can go live soon, being able to open it up to these hybrid events, I think is really going to be interesting. And we're going to be able to engage with a lot more people. And now they've learned all these skills from being in the house and attending all these virtual events. Yeah, no, that's that's such a great point. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, there were virtual events in the past and all that, but there's a big barrier of entry. There's a lot of friction. People didn't weren't familiar with the tools that were out there, but these past several months have really given folks the opportunity to get familiar with these tools to to keep in touch mm-hmm. just with you know the with family and friends. Or, yeah, family and yeah. friends. I think we've seen a lot of strides made in the platforms out there too, right? That are thinking through this and approaching these challenges with us professionals as well. Like before, it used to be a lot of gateway to entry and now it's how can we 
go somewhere in between because we don't want to lose too many people in the entry. And so yeah. it's been it's it's been a really interesting time to see the innovation that's also happened from the software and platform side as well. For sure. Yeah. I mean, now that there's such a demand for different tech solutions out there, seeing that shift from just like having a platform that works to really focusing on the experience of uh, both a person who is going to be on the back end, but also a person on the front end and that attendee experience. I mean, to your point earlier, when you're thinking about these virtual events and, and making sure we're not losing folks, uh, attendees at any specific point because there's too much friction or, and so on. I'd love to take the final uh, few minutes here to speak a little bit more about you and your career and some of the things you've picked up along the way. I'd like to start with who's someone you look up to in events or marketing or business in general? That's a really hard one (laughs) because I have so many people that I look up to and I take inspiration from. I take so much inspiration from so many different sources. I'm a really big reader and information gatherer. So I have like just so many channels of people that I take inspiration from. But I will say that one life lesson or guiding principle that I recently took from is I was listening to Issa Rae, who, Mm -hmm. I mean, amazing. (laughs) But (laughs) I was listening to Issa Rae when she was giving an interview And she was talking about how often professionals are always looking to partner or collaborate with people above them so that they can kind of like pull them up or get into their their sphere of influence. And she was saying how, while that is important, also looking at the people that are around you in the same level that you are and pooling together and building the foundation so that you're all growing together, I think that really has impacted me. And it really was for sure an inspiration. And that manifests in different ways, right? Not always working with the huge event production companies, trying to find those smaller businesses that you can start to work with. At the National Audubon Society, we've come out as like an anti-racist organization. And so figuring out, you know, those smaller businesses, women-owned businesses, other like diverse businesses that you can work with. I think that it's important. It's important for my organization. It's important for me as an event professional. And I think that that's just kind of similar to the Easter Ray mindset of looking at people that are at your level that you can work with and then hopefully help them move up to. If you could give an early version of yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? I would say the advice that I would give to my younger self is that you're going to learn in all parts of your journey and you're going to gain skills in all parts of your journey and they'll benefit you in the long run, even if you don't know how it's going to benefit you. There have been some really weird things. We all have those horror stories or those joy stories of things that <laughs> happened to us in previous positions, right? But I've been able to take them and to turn them into skills or to turn them into learning experiences where it's like, okay, well, I know I don't want to do that. Or I've learned from this and I know not to do this in the future. Or no, I definitely want to keep doing this. And so it doesn't always make sense in the moment and you fret about it, but it'll work out well for you in the future. Just enjoy it. That's huge. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but, but. I'm also curious. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any of those uh, like stories or lessons that come to mind, maybe in a more general sense, if you don't want to 
put anybody on, on blast. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> one of the, the general things as someone, you know, who's, who now has a team, I've learned some really good lessons or things from previous supervisors that I've worked with. I've learned some really bad things from previous supervisors that I've worked with. And so just taking those lessons and realizing like the things that you really loved about previous supervisors. And as you are working to manage a team, really just treating people on your team the way that you want it to be treated and acknowledging things when, you know, everybody has a bad day, you can still acknowledge that you're human, etc. But I think that that was one of the most impactful lessons for me because a team, a team that's happy is a team that works really hard yeah. and really well. And so there's a lot of logic to it as well from a business stance, not just a human stance, but I like to yeah. focus more on the human perspective. Definitely. Big plus one to all of that. <laughs> um, again, it, it sounds like you're doing some really, really cool work with National Audubon Society. It sounds like just in general, you've done a lot and could be interesting for some of our listeners to follow your, your story as it continues to unfold. I mean, how can folks keep up with you and the National Audubon Society if they're interested in learning more? Yeah. So if people want to learn more, which I hope that they do about all the amazing work that the National Audubon Society is doing, I invite them to go to our website, audubon.org, or follow us on the social media channels at Audubon Society. And if they want to learn more about advocating for birds in their community, they can follow us too with the hashtag #FindYourFlockCommunity, which is really <laughs> interesting. And then if people want to see what I've been doing or the work that I'm working on, I'm on LinkedIn, Laura Lawson on there, attached to, of course, National Audubon Society there, but that people can follow me on there as well. Thank you so much, Lauren. Once again, a huge thanks to Lauren for joining us, and thank you all for listening. Two things that really stuck with me from our conversation. One is that it's a gift to have somebody decide to spend time at our events, be that in person or virtually, and we need to treat that gift appropriately. It's a tall order for sure. It's stressful to think about, but it's something that can be helped by another thing that Lauren mentioned. And that is the importance of working with people at our level, your level, whatever it is, to drive growth instead of always looking up or above. That can be through working with vendors and partners that align with your values or by working with your peers to build one another up. It's a very powerful idea that seems relevant always, but especially now during this time of rapid change and experimentation when we're all just figuring things out. That's it for this one. If you'd like to share some feedback for in person or suggest a guest or topic for us to cover in future episodes, please drop us a line at in-person at If you found this episode to be helpful in any way, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and follow us on your podcast platform of choice. Both of these actions can help other people find out about the show. You can also find full transcripts of the show along with key takeaways at inpersonpodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Brandon Raffleson. This has been In Person. And listen, do you hear that? <laughs>